the book of Daniel. And if hopefully. You know, if I would just read those cue sheets, it's amazing what would happen. Dana's shaking his head, Samuel's shaking his head. Grab your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible and turn to page 873. And in all seriousness, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to take that pew Bible and make it your Bible. The only thing we ask you to do is read it. It is our gift to you. If you're looking in the story, turn to chapter 18. We are looking this morning at the life of Daniel. Last week, we were planning to gather and to tackle chapters 16 and 17, but that did not happen. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. A couple things to keep in mind. Tomorrow night, Wild Game Potluck. It's a great time to eat food that you probably never eat, like squirrel and raccoon. And I'm not kidding. Barbecue raccoon is really good. Come on out tomorrow night. You will be amazed at what we can eat and what we will eat. It's a good time, 6.30. Don't forget the next steps move day is Saturday the 21st. We need your help. If you're able-bodied, we need your help on that morning. We're going to bribe you with coffee and donuts, get started about 9, and we will be on our way. And then three weeks from today, March 1, the day that the new morning schedule kicks into gear, it's Christmas in March. So if you have Christmas sweaters, maybe other people think they're ugly Christmas sweaters, maybe you think it's an awesome Christmas sweater, dust it off, bring it out, wear it that day, and just a little teaser, I will be giving Christmas presents during the sermon to multiple people on March 1st. So you'll want to be here that day, maybe you will walk away with a Christmas present. Where have we been? this uh, early part of 2015. We've looked at David and Solomon and the divided kingdom. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the prophets. And last week, we wanted to tackle the fall of the north in 722 BC to the nation of Assyria and the fall of the south in 586 BC to the Babylonians and the evil king Nebuchadnezzar. We did not have church. And I would just say, if you want to see and hear a condensed sermon, we did video about a nine-minute sermon um, of the message from last week. It's on Facebook. I had a couple people come up and say, how do I get on Facebook? The answer is talk to Adam Brucker. He will get you connected. But we would love for you to see that if you want to learn about great heroes of the faith like Hezekiah and Josiah and Jeremiah and their work during this time. Here's the bottom line from last week if you were here. We were going to end with this. Following the fall of the north and the fall of the south, God's people are living in exile. They're no longer in the promised land. Many have been carried off to where the Assyrians were, others to where the Babylonians are. But God's people are now strangers in a foreign land. Think for just a moment what it would be like. And this is crazy and this is ludicrous and this would never happen. But let's just say we had a war with China. Or we had a war with Pakistan. Or we had a war with Iran. And we lost. And they took over what we knew as the land of the free. And they came to you. And they said, you can no longer live in central Illinois. Uh, You're headed to Tehran. You're headed to Beijing. 
And you're going to have to live your life as an exile in a foreign land. What, what would you do? How would that affect you? What would your life look like? I, I talked about India a year ago. This month, I traveled to India for 10 days. And one of the greatest experiences of my life, but just the short time I was there, um, the freedom to get up and go for a walk in the morning. I didn't have that freedom. It wasn't safe where I was. I found out the hard way. You can't just get up and go for a walk. I tried to take my backpack into the Taj Mahal. I take my backpack almost everywhere I go. Problem is I had my pocket NIV Bible in my backpack. And that was considered very hostile. Before long, I had a guy screaming at me in Hindi in a military uniform with an AK-47. That's not an exaggeration. I'm not going Brian Williams on you today. I'm telling you the truth, okay? That was mean. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I need to repent. The point is this. If our life as we knew it was taken from us and we found ourselves as strangers in a foreign land, how would we survive? What choices would we make? I want to give you a little context as we get to the book of Daniel. The Babylonians actually started taking exiles from Judah as early as 605 B.C. And their king, Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted the best. He wanted the brightest. He wanted the elite to go and to serve him as exiles in the land of Babylon. And we're going to meet today four of the brightest Jews. Four of the most brilliant God-fears that were taken into exile. They are young men by the names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they are given new names when they get there. Their new names are Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now here's what's wild, and somebody asked me why this is. I don't know what the answer to this is, but for most of the rest of the book of Daniel, even though Daniel has a new name, Belshazzar, we're still going to refer to him as Daniel. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be referred to by their new names. Why? I have no idea. When we get to heaven, we can ask that question, but that's the deal. Daniel, they use his old name much of the time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their new name. But here's the point that I want you to see. Through these four young men, the span of their life, they are going to be faced with choices with how they're going to live their lives as exiles. How important will my faith be to me? What choices will I make living in a foreign land when it comes to what matters most? And I'm going to give you three snapshots. We're going to look at these four when they're teenagers. We're going to look at Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego when they're middle-aged like me, 45, something like that. And we're going to look at Daniel when he's a senior citizen, maybe 85, 90. And we're going to see the choices that they have to make. So let's start with Daniel 1. No compromise. As teenagers, Daniel and his friends refuse to partake of food from the king's table. They're teenagers, 15, 16, 17, 18, and they are selected to be in the king's service. And part of that selection process meant that they were to eat the king's food. They were to drink the king's wine. Now that sounds like a pretty good deal. Why wouldn't you want the best of the best? Why wouldn't you want what royalty is eating, what royalty is drinking? Well, we're going to find out real quickly why. Let's read together Daniel 1, beginning with verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Why would he defile himself? Because it's food that's been sacrificed to idols. 
It's wine that's been dedicated to pagan foreign gods. And if you know anything about the law, remember the law from last fall? You cannot eat food sacrificed to idols. You cannot partake anything that's been dedicated to a foreign god. So Daniel's faced with a choice. So he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's a bad guy. He would have had his head. This is how bad Nebuchadnezzar was. As Judah is finally going off into exile, Jerusalem's being destroyed, the temple is burning, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, tries to escape with his two teenage boys. Nebuchadnezzar is such an evil ruler, such an evil guy, that he seizes Zedekiah, puts to death his teenage sons in front of him, and then gouges out his eyes. He said, the last thing that I want you to see, that I want to burn in your memory forever, is the sight of your two sons you hold precious dying by the sword. That's evil. That's diabolical. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And so this official, he's not just being a big baby. He's afraid that could happen to him. So he says, Daniel, I'm down with the plan, but I've got to protect myself. So Daniel comes up with a plan. Let's call it the Daniel plan. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days, Daniel says. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. That sounds good, right? Vegetables and water? Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. What's the result? What happened? Well, if you've read ahead, you know that the result is this. Daniel and his friends are healthier and wiser than all the others. Verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate food, who ate the royal food. And to these four men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And actually, everybody stopped eating the royal food, and they all got to eat vegetables, and they all got to drink water. So what's that mean for us today? Well, two things I want you to see. Number one is, I'm excited to announce that in probably mid-June, we haven't nailed down the date exactly, FCC is going to tackle the Daniel plan together. What's that mean? You can only eat vegetables and only drink water? No. But it means that for 40 days, we're going to challenge you, the church body, to take seriously, how, how physically fit am I spiritually? How physically fit am I when it comes to the food that I eat? the beverages that I consume? How physically fit am I in, in terms of just my habits? We're going to have walking clubs and biking clubs and um, people that run together. We're going to have opportunities to, to better ourselves this summer. Now, I know some of you, you're thinking, yeah, right, that, that ain't happening in my world. I'm not giving up my Diet Coke. I'm not giving up my potato chips. I'm certainly not going biking or running or walking. All I ask, all we ask, is that you give it a chance. We're going to preach sermons based on a curriculum that's put together that, honestly, it is excellent. And we're going to see what God does at First Christian Church in Clinton, and I think throughout central Illinois this summer, as we look at this principle from Daniel chapter 1. But more than that, more than just the Daniel plan, 
more than just vegetables and water and being physically healthy. Understand that, yes, Daniel and his friends were healthier and wiser, but God blessed these four because of their faith and their commitment. It would have been really easy for Daniel and his friends to say, you know, it's really no big deal. It's just food. I'll just eat less. I'll just drink less wine. It's no big deal. I'm just going to blend in. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be weird. I'm just going to look like everybody else. But they took a stand. They said, no compromise. I won't go down that road. As teenagers, they were willing to say, think how hard that would be as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old. When everyone around you looks different and is acting different and is eating different and is drinking different, to take a stand and say, I won't defile myself in that way. Picture number two is from Daniel chapter 3. And again, this is probably when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm guessing, are maybe 40, 45. We don't know exactly, but it's a significant time later. Nebuchadnezzar is still king, and Nebuchadnezzar puts them in a a very precarious situation where he wants them to worship an idol of himself. And they refuse to worship an idol of the king. Daniel chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And he proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. See, not only was Nebuchadnezzar a really bad guy, he had an ego that wouldn't quit. And so he thought, I'm king, I'm the real deal, I'm going to have an idol erected in my image, and when the orchestra gets together, when the band gets together, and they play their instruments, all of you are going to bow down and worship me. Now you may be thinking, is it really a big deal? Does it really matter if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow down? I mean, can they just pretend they don't really mean it? Can they just get down on their knees and kind of have their finger behind their their back like they don't really, their fingers crossed behind their back? Well, it is a big deal if you're a God-fearer. It is a big deal if you know what God's Word says. Like we studied last fall, commandment number one, no other gods before me. Commandment number two, don't make an idol, don't worship an idol in the image of anyone. And so they take a stand and they say, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. Well, Nebuchadnezzar finds out and he is ticked, to put it lightly. And he brings them in and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. I like you guys. I've watched you kind of grow up. You're you're good to me. But we're going to get the harps and the flutes and I don't know what a zither is, but the zither is going to play and you're going to bow down or you will die. And I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to say. Verse 16 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They have faith. They know their God is an awesome God. They know their God is a mighty God. They know they're doing the right thing. And they're saying, throw us in the furnace. We're going to survive. But they don't stop there. They go on in verse 18 and say, but even if he does not deliver us, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set before us. We're not going to do it. 
even if we die today, that's okay. Because we will not bow down. My guess is, I don't know this, my guess is this is the first time in Nebuchadnezzar's reign as king anyone has had the guts, the courage to speak to him like this. And he is ticked. And he orders that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. I don't even know what that means, but here's what, it, here's what the, the result was. When guys were just standing near it and the doors open, they died. And he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men of God, thrown into the fiery furnace. My guess is that took place, Nebuchadnezzar thought to himself, that'll show them, and that'll show anybody else that I'm king. And what I say matters. When I say you bow, you better bow. But it didn't play out like they thought it would. See, before long, there weren't just three people in the fiery furnace. There were four. They weren't dying. They weren't melting away. They weren't disintegrating into nothing. They were worshiping. They were praising God. And big, bad Nebuchadnezzar saw firsthand that God provided a supernatural deliverance. God provided a supernatural deliverance. You say, could that really happen? I, I, I can't quantify that with my modern mind. Can I remind you our God is an awesome God? Can I remind you that's the point that God provided a miracle? God did something extraordinary. God did something that you can't quantify with a scientific formula. God delivered them supernaturally. But even more than the supernatural deliverance, Nebuchadnezzar, big bad Nebuchadnezzar, will eventually proclaim that the Lord is truly God. Listen to this scripture. We're going to put it up on the screen here. Verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, they defied the king's commands, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Could you say that about your faith? That you're willing to give up your life rather than serve another god? Just think about that. Would you be willing to say that's a non-negotiable? They were. Verse 29, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. Nebuchadnezzar, he's got issues. I mean, he's killing people. He's doing all kinds of crazy things. And now he's on God's side on this whole deal. And look what he says last, for no other God can save this way. Maybe the most evil man the world has ever seen up to this point in time is saying, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's the real deal. And he's saying it because these middle-aged men, they wouldn't compromise. If you find yourself in your late 30s, 40s, early 50s, kind of the middle-aged thing, where are you at faith-wise today? Are you more on fire for Jesus today than you were 10 years ago? Or has that flame maybe flickered a little bit? Maybe you're a little more mature. Maybe the awesomeness of God just isn't quite as awesome as it was at one time. I hope that's not the case. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood firm. Picture number three, 
Daniel chapter 6. This is senior citizen Daniel. This is 85-year-old, 90-year-old Daniel. This is maybe walking with a walker Daniel. We don't know for sure. But here's what we know. Late in life, Daniel refuses to pray to Darius, the Persian king who conquered Babylon. Here's the deal. Babylon didn't last. A, a, a new dynasty has emerged, the Persians. And the king is a guy named Darius, Darius. I mean, say what you want to. We did this kids play with class act kids a couple years ago, and it was Darius. So I'm saying Darius today. But here's the point. New superpower, new king, same deal. Exiles living in a foreign land. Daniel, because of his age and because of his decades of service, he has distinguished himself in such a way the king of Persia, Darius, wants to put Daniel pretty much in charge of everything. He's saying, you really are the real deal. You're going to be the Joe Biden of Persia. Okay, maybe that's a bad example, but you're going to be second in command. You're going to run the show. And all the other counselors, all the other advisors, they don't like that at all. They're not excited one bit. So they come up with a plan. They say, we've got to find a way to use Daniel's religion against him. To use his commitment against him. And so they decide that they're going to come up with this, this law that the only person you can bow down and pray to is King Darius himself. Verse 6 says, May King Darius live forever! Exclamation point. Then the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing, so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. One thing about the Persians is that once a law was put into place, it could not be repealed. So you're the king, and you've been out late partying, and you're not really thinking, and you get up and you issue a decree, and you say, I don't like that decree. I want to undo that decree. That couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. If it was written into the law of the Medes and the Persians, it was the law. And so they tricked the king into putting this into law, and, and there's no turning back. For the next 30 days, the only person you can pray to is King Darius. What's Daniel going to do? I mean, he's lived a great life. Does it, does it really matter if you just pray one or two times to another God? Let's see what Daniel's response is, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking God for help. And the result is this, even though he doesn't want to, King Darius is forced to throw Daniel in the lion's den, a sure death sentence. Just one prayer? Just 30 days? I mean, just for 30 days, just do it? Don't even mean it? Does it really matter? Do you really have to be this serious about the faith? Daniel says yes. Daniel won't compromise. He knew that even if I die, there's something worse than physical death. And that is forsaking my God. It reminds me of the, the second century bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. Polycarp was a man of God living during a time 
when just the world, the Roman world, was hostile to anyone that loved Jesus. And they went to him and they said, you have to bow down to Caesar. And Polycarp said, I, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. They said, you don't even have to mean it. Just say it. He said, for 86 years, my Lord Jesus has never forsaken me. How could I forsake him now? He was burned at the stake. No compromise. What's the result? Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, but we see another supernatural action of God. In a crazy kind of way, the lions aren't hungry. Isn't that a cool coincidence? That the lions weren't hungry that day? Or, or maybe our God's an awesome God. Maybe God had other plans for Daniel. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian king Darius issues a decree that people throughout the land must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Let's read that. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you greatly prosper. I issue a decree to every part of my kingdom that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. That's our great sermon. That's our great devotion. You got to do devotion sometime for your small group. That's our great devotion right there. And that's the most powerful man in the world who's not a God-fearer saying, Daniel's God, he's the real deal. And then this footnote, verse 28, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So I've given you three pictures. I've given you teenagers, I've given you three middle-aged guys, and I've given you Daniel and his walker, senior citizen walker. And here's the one common thread in those snapshots they would not compromise they wouldn't give in even when people said it's just a little bit of food and wine even when people said just bow down you don't even have to mean it when people said you know does it really matter that you pray publicly go pray in a closet somewhere they wouldn't compromise they wouldn't give in have you ever thought what others might say in terms of commentary on the book of Daniel? I think Peter gave us some commentary on the book of Daniel late in his life in 1 Peter chapter 2. It goes like this, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. One of my favorite preachers is a guy that's been dead a long time, Charles Spurgeon. He changed England forever. And here's what I think Spurgeon might have said about the book of Daniel. Discernment is not the difference between, knowing the difference between what is right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. See, I think if we just had a really clear-cut, major sin possibility for you you would probably be able to say that's a bad idea but i think for so many followers of jesus we struggle with that difference between right and almost right kind of walking on the line 
Spurgeon said that's the battle, knowing the difference between right and almost right. Anybody remember Keith Green? Been gone for a while now. I love Keith Green. Here's what he said. No compromise is what the whole gospel of Jesus is all about. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, For I tell you, no man or woman can serve two masters. you got a choice to make. Daniel said, as much as I want to make Darius happy, I, I can't pray to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, as much as it'd be cool to not have Nebuchadnezzar mad at us, we can't bow to this idol. No compromise. And then finally, 21st century uh, theologian Toby Mack put it like this, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Jesus actually said it. Toby just sang it. And so what's the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. No compromise. Followers of Jesus were called to live such good lives. And that's what I want to leave you with today. That's what I want to kind of float through your mind and your heart today and this week. What's that mean for me? What's that mean for us as followers of Jesus to live such good lives? Next week, we're going to tackle two chapters you need to read chapters 19 and 21, or if you're not reading through the actual story, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to look at the return from exile, Ezra the priest, and Nehemiah the cupbearer. Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and we're going to tackle that next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you so much for men of faith that we have studied today that live that no-compromise life. Help us to live that no compromise life in every arena of life. We love you so much, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.